Well, praise God. Well, this morning, I want to minister to you on, on righteousness. Um, I think it's really important that we recognize that in Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. You see, righteousness is the quality of being made uh, morally right or justified with God. And I think that we can all agree that that's the, the standing that we would like to be in. We, we want to be morally right and justified before God. But today, I think today particularly, so many people believe that getting right with God is all about our behavior. And it's all about our actions. I know even as a, as a young Christian growing up, I, I thought the only way I could be right with God is if I did all the right things, if I did everything perfectly. And I remember that I would, I would live, go throughout the day and at night I would lay down and pray and I would just lay out this laundry list of sins to God and, and I would just beg for forgiveness and you know, I just felt terrible and guilty and then the next day I just did it all over again and it was a repeating cycle. Every night praying, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And nothing changed because I hadn't really recognized it. I didn't really recognize that I was already changed in Jesus Christ, that I was already righteous and I didn't have to, to perform to be that way. I just had to live out who I was. You see, and I think it's even for Christians, um, we think the same way. Not only does the, the, the people in the world think that they have to get right with God before they can do anything with them, but even Christians, I think we live that, that way even today as well. I mean, how many times have you gone to, to a communion and heard, we have to get right with God before we can take communion? You know, and, and there, there are people that think that they just have to sit down and, and pray real hard. And, you know, there's a guilt meter. And if you just don't have enough guilt then you're not right with God. You've got to feel guilty for all these failures, for all of these shortcomings, all of these things you've done. And man, we're going to have communion, so let's spend half an hour just, just focusing on all our sin. And unfortunately, it's just a misconception and not people not recognizing that in Jesus Christ, they've already been made righteous. You know, the, if you notice the subtitle here, it says, you will never be more righteous than the day you accepted Jesus. There is no point in your Christian walk that you're working into righteousness. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. Then the, the very moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were made righteous. I've heard people say that, sorry, I can't come to church because I've got to get right with God before I come to church. Or if I show up at church, the church will catch on fire. Anybody ever heard something like that? Yeah. You know, but people think they have to be right with God before they can walk in the doors of His buildings and spend time with Him. The truth is that if you're not saved, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing that you can do to become righteous on your own. No matter how good of a life you live, no matter how many perfect things that you do, no matter how much money you give to charity and how many people's lives you impact, there's nothing that you can do to become righteous. It requires Jesus Christ. And then if we're saved, we need to recognize that there's nothing that we can do that will make us more righteous and recognize that nothing that we did made us righteous. You know, as Christians, we have to understand that it's, it's not the they're reading your Bible and coming to church and tithing and all these things that, that makes you righteous because Jesus Christ paid the price to make you righteous. The truth is, is that the sin in our life already disqualified us completely disqualified us. And even if you've lived the perfect life, which we can all agree nobody ever has and nobody ever will, but say this hypothetical perfect life could be lived, they're still dealing with Adam's one act of disobedience that made them unrighteous. And there's nothing that they can do to make up for that. We just need to recognize that being righteous is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Not as a result of anything that we did, but only as a result of His complete and perfect finished work on the cross. So let's go ahead and get, look into that this morning. First, we need to recognize that the, the law was inadequate. The, in Hebrews 7.19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. You see, the law was, was given to Moses through angels, given to Moses, and he, he gave it to the people. And the law said that these are the things that you have to do to be right with God. And we all know that there's, there's a, we all know the Ten Commandments, and then there's also other books of the law that list, I mean, there's hundreds of, of laws they have to follow to be made right. And if you violate any of those, then you're not right with God. And they had to make sacrifices to God to try to make up for those shortcomings. 
But see, the law was just a list of requirements of how to become righteous. The, the Bible says the law in itself made nothing perfect. The law had no ability to change you. The law had no ability to, to clean your past out and make you right. It was only a list of things that you had to do. These are the requirements. Matter of fact, all the law really did was highlight all of our failures. Because when the law sits in front of you and it says, thou shalt not, you're like, man, I did all of these more than once. And you recognize that you're not meeting the requirements set forth by God. So the question is, why did we even have the law in the first place? Why did we have these list of actions or works that we had to do to become right? What was the point if the Bible says the law made nothing perfect? But the point was, I think it was God was trying to point out our transgressions. He wanted to show us that you can't do this on your own. That you, you, it was a, a tutor of sorts. It was, it was a way to teach us, to let us know what the requirements were. This is, it was the way to teach us this is what was necessary. And at the same time, it pointed out that we would never make it. We'd never be able to meet such lofty requirements of God. Because God demands nothing less than perfection. Because God in himself is, is perfect. So he demands nothing less than perfection. And of ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to meet that requirement. In Galatians 3.19, it says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place by angels, through angels, by an intermediary. And what that was saying is, the, the angel of the Lord gave Moses, who was the intermediary, that passed the law on to us. But it was just there as a temporary thing to show us our transgressions until the one whom the promise had been made, which was Jesus. If you read a little bit farther there, he's talking about the, the uh, I was talking about the, the off the seed of Abraham, which was Jesus. He's who the promise had been made. And when Jesus finally came, the law was done away with because he made us righteous. In Galatians 3.24, it says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was there to point out all of our failings, to make it clear that we, we couldn't live up to this. This is really what it does, is it gave sin power because we begin to recognize all of the sin in our lives. We begin to point it out, it quantified sin in our lives. Before the law, sin wasn't quantified, but after the law, it was quantified in our lives. But it was there to show us that we could never make it so that way we could be finally justified by faith when Jesus Christ came. See, if the law is inadequate, the question remains, and what do we have? If the law is not good enough to make us righteous, then what can we do? But the truth is, is that, that we have Jesus, who was a better hope that was introduced to us. You see, what he did, his work was sufficient. His work was enough. Under the law, every little sin that you had, you had to have some sort of sacrifice, some sort of death to pay for that sin because what is the wages of sin? Death. There was some sort of death that had to happen, but if we read through Hebrews, you'll see that those sacrifices were happening over and over and over because those sacrifices could never permanently pay the price that was owed. And then along came Jesus, and his work was perfect. His work was, was enough. It was all sufficient. Jesus did for us what we could never do, and that was pay the penalty for the sin in our lives. And because of this, He has made us righteous. He has made us be able to stand in front of God in right standing. Righteousness is just right standing in front of God. We can finally draw near to God. You see, without Jesus, we have a problem. Because in 1 John 1, 5-6, it says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we, have, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. God is light and there's no darkness in Him at all. And if we're walking in darkness, if we, if we don't have Jesus, then we're walking in darkness. Everyone who is not saved is walking in darkness. And they cannot have fellowship with God because what does light have to do with dark? You know, just the, the, the idea of light, if you look at how light operates, if you take a, a flashlight out in the middle of the night and you shine it forward, darkness flees from the light. There's no mixture of, of light and dark. Where there's light, there is not dark. There's no mixture. And the same is true with God. We had to have been made righteous. We had to have been made pure. We have had to have been made holy to have any kind of fellowship with Him. 
And in order for that to happen, it had to be done in, in one shot. When we got saved, we were as righteous as we were ever going to be. We didn't, have to, we didn't get saved and start working towards it, start working towards our fellowship. As soon as you got saved, you could have fellowship with God. You could be in His presence. And the truth is, I think everybody knows and understands this at some level. I think that's why when you, when you meet people that aren't believers, that have some knowledge of God, but they're not saved, that there's so much focus on getting right with God before they come to church. They, they, we all recognize on some level that you can't interact with God if you're, if you're not clean. And the truth is, it's, it's true. You have to be clean to be in fellowship with God. You have to be righteous. You have to be holy. But the biggest confusion we have is how do we go about that? And I want you to know today that, that righteousness comes through Jesus. And it's a perfect righteousness. It's a complete righteousness. It is what meets the, the requirements of God. And there's nothing that you can do to add to that. In Romans 3, 20 through 24, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's come on and say it. Let's, let's plainly say it. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in His sight. It's plain as day. It's clear in the Bible that there's no works of the law that can, that can make you perfect enough to be right with God. Now it's true that in the Bible it does say that the doers of the law, not just hearers of the law, are the ones who are justified. In Romans 2.13 it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. But like I said, there, even in that there's a, there's a problem. Because even if you could live that hypothetical perfect life, we still have to deal with, the, with Adam's sin that has been passed on generation to generation. The law demands perfection, but we're born broken. You know, the truth is that you're not going to stand in before God, before Jesus one day, and be judged on the standards that we set for ourselves. You are always set to the standard held by the law. Even, even in our regular courts of law, just to look at a perfect example of that, is that you are always held to the standards of the laws in the books, not the laws that we set for ourselves. It's like the story, there's a story of an armed robber. And you'll probably remember the story of Dennis Lee Curtis. He was arrested in 1992 in, in Rapid City, South Dakota. And, and it says, Curtis apparently had scruples about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code. I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I will take cash and food stamps, but no checks. I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask. I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. If I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. But if chased in a vehicle, I will not put the lives of the innocent civilians on the line. I will rob only seven months out of the year, and I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. How many of this guy set some standards for himself? He set some standards for his, his thievery. But when he stood before the court of the law, how many of his standards didn't meet a thing? Because he, he was judged by the law of the land. And the same goes for us when we claim that, you know, there's many people that claim that, oh, I'm, I'm basically a good person. That's the one we probably hear the most. I'm, I'm basically a good person. We've set artificial standards for ourselves, and if we, we're looking for, you know, enough goodness to balance out our, our badness on this scale, and we think if we just tip it high enough, then we're going to get in, we're going to be all right. But the law demands perfection. We're judged according to the law of God, not according to to whatever standards we might set for ourselves. And the problem that we run into is that the law of God is no way we can meet that standard. The Bible says that all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody can meet that standard. So what are we to do? And that's where Jesus came in. I, I love, 
I love God because He came in and he, he fixed our problem. He made us righteous without ever lowering His standards. You know, it could have been just as easy for God to say, you know what, I'm going to leave them as they are, I'll just ignore their sin. But he didn't. He, he took care of the problem. And not only did he, did he do that, he did what the law couldn't do. The law just pointed out our sins, but it never made any fundamental change inside of us. But Jesus came and died for us and paid the price. Jesus fulfilled the law. Have you read the Scripture where it says Jesus fulfilled the law? Because the wages of sin is death. Sin demands a payment. And Jesus made that payment for us. And since the payment's been paid, we stand right before God. So God never lowered his standards. He said, you know what? Sin demands death. So he sent his son to die in our place. But that wasn't all. He didn't just pay the penalty, but then he gave us a new life inside of us that we could live, that we could be restored to the same position Adam was in the Garden of, e in the Garden of Eden. We were restored to that same position. We have a life without sin. We've been That brokenness, that broken spirit that was inside of us was removed and replaced by the Spirit of Christ and we've been made brand new. And because of that, we stand before God righteous and holy. And there's only one way to receive that righteousness. And it's not by anything that you do. God didn't say, you know what, I'll give you, I'll give you this righteousness in my son if you just live a good enough life. If you just do all these things, if you, here's, here's my checklist. Check them off as you go. When you get them all done, then you're going to finally be good enough. But no, he says that you need to receive this gift by faith. He says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God gives this gift freely, but we have to grab hold of it by faith. And the truth is that that if you don't receive this gift, if you don't receive this boarding pass, if you will, then you're going to be in a bad place. You know, if you go to, to go get on a plane or an airplane or a train or anything like that, your ability to get on is, is if you got the pass or not. Do you have your ticket? You know, you'll never be able to go up to the, uh, go up to the, uh, the lady that's accepting the tickets and she goes, hey, do you have your ticket? No, I don't have one, but look at how handsome I am. Don't you know all the things that I've... I mean, look how much money I've given away. Let me show you all these good things that I've done. I know you're still not getting on the plane. You need to have the ticket. And for us as believers, that ticket is, is grabbed hold of by faith in Jesus Christ. You need to have a new life inside of you. All men have fallen short, but, the, but all we need is His grace which He's extended to all of us, and to receive the free gift, which we do by faith. The only way to righteousness is through this gift. And at the moment that you accept it, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been made righteous. All the way righteous, not partially. There's not, you know, there's, there's uh, some uh, religions that I've seen that, that Jesus covers most of your sins, but there's, there's some that, you know, really bad ones you still have to have some sort of penance to make up for. There's some uh, denominations that would be really legalistic, and if you don't do these things, if you ever mess up, if you, you're going to lose your salvation, you're going to lose your righteousness, you're going to lose everything. But the truth is, is that your righteousness was never based on your actions. It's impossible to lose it on your actions. And the truth is, to try to add our actions, our works, our, our, our behaviors to the equation for righteousness, and you don't recognize it when you do it, but you're implying that what Jesus did isn't enough. I mean, what, what Jesus did, it was pretty good, but I mean, this was really bad. I've got to read my Bible extra. I've got to come to church a little bit more. I've got to pray a little bit harder, otherwise God's never going to forgive me. You're implying that what Jesus did isn't enough. See, in Romans 5, 18 through 19, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, the one trespass was, was Adam's fall in the garden, his disobedience in the garden. It says, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The single act of righteousness of Jesus Christ completely negates the single act of disobedience by Adam. 
We have eternal life. We have righteousness. We have holiness through faith if we'll trust in Jesus Christ. You see, it was Adam's one act that caused the fall of the human race. If you look, remember in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Adam, he ate from the apple. And as soon as he ate from it, man, mankind began to die. We, we faced a spiritual death at that moment. We became broken, and that's been passed on through the generations. See, this is the reason that our actions could never make us righteous, because it was never our actions that made us become unrighteous in the first place. We were born in that state because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Our actions or the law could never make us righteous because really all the law does is, is clarifies for us that we're not righteous. And I personally believe that if Jesus would have, or if God would have sent Jesus right off the bat, you know, why, why the law? We talked about why the law, why was it here, and it was here to be a tutor. But I think that if, if Jesus was sent right off the bat, then we would just have so many men and women rejecting him, even more so than they do today, because they figure they can do it themselves. The law came to show us that we couldn't do it ourselves. And even when we have that, even when we recognize that we can't do it ourselves, there's so many people that reject the free gift of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how many people would reject it if there was no law and it was never pointed out how we were failing, if it wasn't clear that we need a Savior? Our arrogance would cause most of us to go straight to hell. And then some would claim, well, if that's the case, if it was Adam, Adam's fall that makes it where I'm unrighteous. Doesn't that seem a little unfair? Has anybody ever thought for a moment that, hey, it's kind of unfair that I'm being held, held accountable for the actions of one man? Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever thought that way? It's a, valid, it's, a, it's a valid argument. And why am I being held responsible for the act of one man who lived thousands and thousands of years ago? But the truth is, it was, it's because of that very act, the very reason that we're held accountable for that is, is God's wisdom. It makes it possible that one man's obedience could make us all righteous. Because we're held accountable to the fall of Adam, we can be held accountable to the, the, the righteousness of Jesus. We can take part in that by one man. Because if, if God said, nope, Adam, you're responsible for your own stuff and everybody from here on out is going to be responsible for their own stuff, take a look back in your life and, and you think you'd be okay? I know I wouldn't. And compared to some, I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> You know? And I still wouldn't have made it. I thank God that that's the way God did it. Because because of that, in His wisdom, in that, in that plan of God, we can all be made righteous through the act of one man. And we're not held accountable for, for what we've done because Jesus was held accountable for the life that we've lived. Because one man caused our condemnation and made it possible for God to allow one man to give us a brand new life. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 30, it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus. I started using... The English Standard Version. And uh, I like some of the translations better. It's a little bit easier to read. But I began to realize they don't capitalize pronouns that refer to God. And I was actually, this last, yesterday, because I'm like, that's one of the, the quick ways you can use to see what's talking about God is, is if it's capitalized, you know it's, it's referring to God. This actually is referring to God here, this hymn. Because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. But I find it interesting. They, they, they've chosen not to capitalize it because in the, in the original Greek there's no distinction. It's more, of a, it's more of an English thing that we do just to help us out. It's a way for us to help out. But 
the reason they don't do it is because in every case, usually by context, in almost every case, you can tell if it's referring to God. That's a side note. I just thought that was interesting. But it says, And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, the, the work that was done in us because of Christ Jesus is absolutely amazing. We find here that, that we became, he became to us wisdom from God. In Christ, we have wisdom. In Colossians 2, 1 through 3, it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In all the riches of Christ is hidden wisdom and knowledge that we have, are able to take part in. And what's even better than that, James 3.17 says this about the wisdom that comes from heaven. It says, But the wisdom from, from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Not only do we get wisdom from, from Jesus, but we get some incredibly qualified wisdom. Those are, those are good qualities to have in your wisdom. You know, because of Jesus, we're not, we're not left without guidance. We're not left without direction, but we have wisdom and guidance in Jesus Christ. Then it also says that we have sanctification, which means that we've been set apart to serve Him. When you're sanctified, you're set apart. John 17, 19 says, for, the sake I, for their sake I consecrate myself, this is Jesus speaking, that they also may be sanctified in truth. We are sanctified in the truth of God. We are set apart because of Jesus. And then we find out that we have redemption in Christ Jesus. We have been set free because Jesus paid the price at the cross. Romans 3.24 says, and, and they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And those are all fantastic things, but what I want, more importantly what we're speaking about today is righteousness. And the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, we have received righteousness. We've become righteousness. We continue on in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus to be sin. In other words, He took on all the sin that we had. All the sin that was in our lives, and not just we as in this room, but of, of the human race, of mankind, Jesus took all of that sin upon Himself. He became sin. Even though He never knew sin Himself, He took that on. Jesus didn't deserve to die. Jesus didn't deserve to go to that cross. We did. That was our sin. But He took it upon Himself and paid the price that we should have paid. And because of that, it says that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin, or He took on all of our sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could take on His righteousness. It was a trade. He took our sin. He gave us His righteousness. How many of you agree that Jesus Christ was righteous? The Bible says He lived without sin, that He was perfect. He was the unblemished Lamb of God. He took our sin and gave us those qualities. He made us righteous in Him. You never see that Jesus in the Bible said, you know what, I've, I've got to do these few things so I can make sure I'm good enough to go to the cross. He never put out a, you know, there was never a list of things that he had to accomplish to make sure that he was ready to go to the cross. You know, if, if, I, if I don't heal enough people, if I don't preach enough sermons, if I don't feed enough people, I'm just not going to be good enough. No, he was as righteous as he'll ever be when he, when he was born as well. And he went to the cross perfectly righteous, never having to do anything to make himself more righteous. And he gave that righteousness to us. And because of that, there's nothing that we have to do to become even more righteous either. Matter of fact, in 1 John 4.17, it says that we can have confidence. 
1 John 4, 17, it says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, also are we in this world. See, love, this is love perfected with us. Jesus Christ inside of us. 1 John 4, 13 through 16, the, the Scriptures right before this says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's the love he's talking about right here, where it says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. Confidence is an incredible thing. It is important to have confidence even in your daily life. You, you've seen people that are, that are shy and fearful and have no confidence and you can, you can tell that there's a, a detriment to their life because of those things. And spiritually speaking, it's a detriment to your life if you don't have confidence as well. We, we can know that we are saved. We can know that we can stand before God in right standing because the Bible says we can have confidence. You know, there's... There's many people that, are, that, are, that believe that they, they can't be sure that they're saved and they're, they're, not, they're not positive. And I know that there was a, a long time in my life, I, I talked about it briefly last week, is I went to so many altar calls it would make your head spin because I was never confident. I was never sure. And every time they'd have an altar call, I'd be like, just in case, I'm heading up there and giving my life to Jesus again. Because I didn't understand that I could be confident. I didn't understand that I could be sure. And the reason I couldn't be sure, I think, is sometimes because I was actively rejecting God. There were times in my life that I was just like, I don't have time for you, I want to do what I want. And then I would, I'd go to church or get dragged to church and I'd realize that I was making a mistake. I had no confidence, so I'd, I'd go back and give my life to, him God, to God again. And sometimes, like I said, it was just to be safe because I had no confidence. I didn't understand. You know, that's the, the biggest thing that I want to bring out this morning is that you can have confidence and understand that you are righteous right now and there's nothing that you can do or will do that will make you more righteous because you're already as, your righteous meter is full to the top. You can't make it go any higher. You see, and, and the opposite of confidence is fear. And we have, we have those choices. We can, we can believe what the Bible says. We can understand that we are righteous in God. Or we can be afraid that we're not. And like I said a few minutes ago, we can all agree that Christ lived a sinless life, that he was without blemish, that he was righteous in his own right. And the Bible says that because as he is, also, so also are we in this world. I want you to know that as he was, he was righteous. You are righteous in this world as well. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what He's done. Jesus was victorious. You're victorious in this world. Jesus was an overcomer. He was more than a conqueror. And so are you in this world. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. And so do you in this world. As He was, so are you in this world. And that's an amazing thing. Amen? In Galatians 2, 20-21, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, not, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. To be crucified with Christ is to have your old self killed. It's as simple as that. Your old self was put to death with Christ by faith. The old man, the old you who was, who was sinful, who wasn't saved, he's dead and gone. As soon as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that old person was crucified with Christ. You swapped places and you were given Christ's new life. 
That you that was crucified with Christ was the you that deserved to die. The you who was unrighteous. This was the, the you that was a slave to sin. And instead you were replaced by the, the Spirit of the living God and you were no longer a slave to sin. And the death has already been paid. And you are now righteous. You know, when we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling with temptation, we, do be, yeah, we would do well to remember that that person, the old person that that desired sin, the old person that, that was tempted by sin is dead and gone. That's one of the greatest things that you can remember when you're tempted is, you know what, that person that wanted that, he's dead and gone. Get away from me, devil. You have no right. I am free from the bondage of sin and death. That person that wasn't, he died with Christ. And I've been given a brand new life. So how can this be? How, how, I mean, Pastor Wayne, I'm, I'm obviously not dead. I obviously didn't die. I mean, I'm still here. I'm here today. You're talking to me. Obviously, I didn't die. So how, how do we die? How are we crucified by Christ, with Christ? And that's, it's by faith. By faith. That's the reason why we get baptized is to, to publicly display our faith that we were dead and buried and resurrected with Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. is a picture of when you're put under the water, it's you dying and being buried with Jesus. And when you come out of the water, it represents you coming out of the water in newness of life. You died with Him and then you were made alive with Him again as well. And then he goes on to say that that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, because the Spirit of God who lives in you, and the Spirit of God is righteous, therefore Christ living in you is righteous, therefore you are righteous. I think that that's the, 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 the greatest testament, testimony for us being pure and holy and righteous, is that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. If you weren't holy, if you weren't pure, if you weren't righteous, God could not live inside of you. It would be an impossibility. Because what fellowship does light have with dark? The fact that you have the, the Spirit of God living inside of you proves that you are righteous, proves that you have already been made perfect by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to say that, <clears throat> I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The fact of the matter is, is if we could obtain righteousness through the law, God would have never had to send Jesus. If we could have obtained righteousness through our, our works and our actions, then there was no need for Christ. And Paul says that then he died for no purpose. How many know that, that God didn't make a mistake? He wasn't confused. It wasn't a, a, he didn't send Jesus just in case. You see, the law says do. But grace says, done. And it's already been done in Jesus Christ. The grace is extended to us. The, the work of Jesus makes us pure and righteous. It's done. It's finished. The Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because it was done. There was nothing left to do. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says that it's the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, the righteousness that we have is... You want to bang on that door? <laughs> it says righteousness is, is a result of grace. And grace, as we know, is being giving some, given something that we don't deserve. The truth is, we didn't deserve any of this. We deserved death. We deserved the pain that Jesus suffered. We deserved all of that. But instead, he paid the price for us, and that's grace. He gave us a new life, even though we didn't deserve it, on the basis of our faith. And because of this, it has nothing to do with our actions or behavior, but rather it's by faith that we take hold of what's been given to us. And salvation is a completely free gift. It's not like a gift. Anybody ever been talked into going to a timeshare presentation because of the free gift? I mean, that's not really a free gift. Oh, you're paying for that one. Even, even if you managed to say no to the presentation, you had to sit through some unfun stuff. You paid for that gift. Salvation is not like that. It's completely free with nothing, no expectation of anything in return. 
Yet somehow, so many of us want to attribute salvation to the things that we do, to our actions, even subconsciously. As we're growing into a greater revelation of this, and I know that I've grown into a greater revelation of it as I've, as I've grown in Christ. But there are still parts when, when if I sin or if I make a mistake, and I, I thank God that it's less and less every day as I, as I grab hold of this more and more every day, but there's still a part of me going, oh, I can't believe I did. And there's got to be something. I've got to do something. I mean, how many of you have ever, have you ever slipped up and your first thought is, oh, I've got to spend more time in the Word. Oh, I've got to spend more time. You know, see, and don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing. You, the only way you can have a greater revelation of this stuff is to spend more time with God, spend more time with His Word. But I think a lot of us, even subconsciously, we begin to think of what we can do to make this right. Instead of going, thank you, Father, that you've already made it right. And then you see the wisdom of God in this as well. Because he says that it's, it's not as a result of work so that no one may boast. I mean, can you imagine if you got to heaven one day and there's all of us that got in by grace, but there's this, you know, that, that group of, of people that walk around with their chest puffed up? I did it myself. It was all me. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't seem like a heaven that I'd want to be to. That seems more like, more like down here on earth than heaven, right? Where there's no tears, there's no jealousy, there's no envy, no pride. Yeah, high school. <laughs> I mean, the wisdom of God in this is so that, you know what? There's no one that can say they did it on their own because it's impossible for them to do it on their own. The truth is that this is actually very fortunate for us. Do you remember when Jesus said that he was without sin, cast the first stone to those who were bringing that, uh, that, that woman caught in adultery? You know, the truth is, is that if that were ever said to us, he was without sin, cast the first stone, all of us would have to walk away as well. And boasting in and of itself is an act of self-righteousness as well. As we, if we want to boast in how good we're doing things, that's a, an act of self-righteousness, which we know gets us nowhere. So I thank God that it's a free gift because that made it so everybody could partake in it. Here's Paul's example in this whole situation. In Philippians 3, 3-9, it says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. But then Paul goes on to say this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul said, you know what? According to the law, I'm living a blameless life. Not many people can say that. He says, but whatever gain I had counted, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul begins to describe his life. And he begins to say, you know what? If anybody can, has a claim to righteousness by their actions, it's me. Matter of fact, he says that if anybody thinks he has a reason, I have more. That's a pretty bold claim. He says, I have more. As to the law, I, I was blameless. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the Christian church. I mean, he's like, I was, I was for reals. I was the real deal. If anybody has a reason to boast in self-righteousness, it would be me. He says, but I counted all as loss. Paul recognized that even living that perfect law according to the law was not enough. He says, I count that as rubbish. Because the only way to salvation, the only way to righteousness is through Jesus Christ. He says right here, I count all that as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith because that is a better righteousness. 
So the first righteousness depends on what you can do, and it's, and it's, it's impossible to achieve. But the second righteousness is perfect righteousness. There is no failings or shortcoming in it, and it's given to you by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that same righteousness that Paul was grabbing hold of is available to all of us. And as a matter of fact, if you were, if you were born again, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have that righteousness inside of you right now. In Hebrews 10.26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. See, the truth is, is that what Jesus did was the end of it all. Now this verse right here, is so often misunderstood. Very often misunderstood. And I can see why. It's easy to read and say that if you, if you read this just at face value without taking it into context, without reading around it, it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It kind of reads like this. As soon as you get saved, all your sins are forgiven, but if you sin again after you get saved, you're, you're out of luck. That's kind of how it reads, right? But it's not what he's saying, actually. He's actually not referring to Christians in this verse at all. He says he's referring to those who have heard the truth but reject it. It says, for if we go on deliberately sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and what he's saying by these people that deliberately sin, these are people that have rejected Jesus and want to do whatever they want. Matter of fact, in verse 29, in Hebrews 10.29, he speaks of the one who tramples underfoot the Spirit of the Son of God. They've rejected Jesus. If they continue to sin, there's nothing left for them. And what he's getting at is, and, he's, and you've got to recognize that, that Paul right now is speaking to the Jews, and they're rejecting Jesus. And he's saying, but if you reject that and continue to do what you're doing, there's, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin. And what he's saying is that Jesus was it. You can either choose to accept Jesus or there's nothing left for you. What he's not saying is that if you get saved and you sin, you're out of luck. I want you to know if you, if you get saved, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will always have your sins forgiven. Past, present, future. You know, the best way to describe it when we talk about our future sins and our past sins, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. Jesus died for all of your sins. Past, present, and future. But what Paul's pointing out here is that if you reject that free gift of righteousness, there's nothing left for you. There's no longer a sacrifice that can be made to make you righteous because Jesus was the one and only sacrifice. There's nothing left to pay the price. Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. He took care of it completely. And there is nothing left to do but to receive Him. A few verses before this in Hebrews 10, 17 through 18, it, it clarifies it a little bit better. He says, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And why does he remember their sins and lawless deeds no more? This, this quote is, is talking about Jesus. When Jesus comes and pays the price, God will no longer remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then it says in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Does it sound a little bit similar to here? There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There's no longer an offering for sin because Jesus took care of it. That's what he's getting at here. So I want you to know that there's no offering, there's no anything that you can do to make you more right before God. There's nothing left except for receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And just to, to clarify, to make sure that we all understand that he's not talking about sinning after you receive Jesus, let's take a look at 1 John 2, 1 through 2. And John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, John was writing to his, his listeners to encourage them not to sin. You know, like I taught last week, that as believers, it is possible for a Christian not to sin. Not very likely. We, we know in, in practice. 
But the truth is, it is possible. If we would grab hold of the revelation of who we are in Jesus Christ and keep our eyes focused on Him, like in Jude one twenty four, where it says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, you can live a sinless life. And John is encouraging his, his listeners just to do that very thing. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus will intercede for you because Jesus already paid the price. You know, when we go back and look at this, we can recognize that, that he obviously cannot be talking about us being out of luck if we sin after we're saved because we read right over here that we have an advocate with the Father if we sin. And that's the point I bring this up. I want to I make it clear that Jesus is the only way. There's nothing left. There's no other sacrifice to make people righteous. There's no other actions to make people righteous. There is no longer an offering or a sacrifice for sin. Jesus was it. But if we do sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is sinning should be a rare thing for the Christian. You know, this idea that, oh, oh I, you know, this, instead of uh, the licentiousness, you know, we're, we're, we're free from sin, not free to sin. We don't have a license to sin. We're free from sin. And sin for the Christian should be rare. But if it happens, I thank God that all we have to do is get back up and place our, our, our eyes back on Him. We repent. You know, repent simply means doing a 180. You're, you're looking at away from God, but when you repent... You turn and you're looking back at God. That's what repentance is. It's turning from your sin and turning back towards God. Because the truth is, is that your righteousness is a state of being. How many know that if, if you make a mistake, you haven't lost your righteousness? If you stumble, you have not lost your righteousness. You never gained your righteousness based on how good of a life you're living, so therefore you can't lose it based on how bad of a life you're living. Now the argument could be made if you're just living all kinds of living hell on earth, you might want to reevaluate your your position in Christ. But if if you stumble, if you make a mistake, you haven't lost your righteousness. You are not slightly less righteous than you were the time right before it. You are still 100% righteous in Christ. You see, righteousness is a state of being, not a meter that we're filling up. So the last scripture we're going to look at right now is one that I think everybody should have memorized. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'm a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <clears throat> Whenever you're running into temptation problems, you're not feeling righteous, you're not feeling good enough. Anytime where, where you have that, where you're, you're just like, you know, I don't feel right. I don't feel like I'm perfect. I don't feel like I'm brand new. Just... Repeat this to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. Memorize it. Repeat it to yourself when you're, when you're experiencing temptation. Put it up on sticky notes on your wall. Put it on your refrigerator. You are a brand new creation in Christ. On the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were made brand new. And that new you is righteous. The new you is perfect. The new you is holy. The new you is free. The new you has been redeemed. And you'll never be any more of those things in the day you accepted Jesus Christ because in Him you are made perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. Is your eyes closed in an attitude of prayer? Is there, is there anybody in here that hasn't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Everybody is... Knows him and is saved, and praise God. I was going to stand to our feet then.